Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom Three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back. Another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. Post-AAC Championship game. Pre-Birmingham Bowl. Yes, we are going back to Birmingham. Uh, Memphis. Yay! Well, actually, this will be my first visit. Um for foot, You've never for been to Birmingham? No, I've been to Birmingham oh, okay, okay. just for the Birmingham Bowl. Okay. Um, no, I went to UAB last year for basketball. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, judging from the fan reaction, I don't sense uh, a ton of excitement from the fan base about going back to Birmingham. Um, but I don't, I don't blame them for the record. Yeah, well, regardless. So let's, let's just set up the show. Um, coming up... <laughs> We're coming off, uh, you know, another heartbreaking loss to UCF in the AAC championship game for Memphis, a game where if they win, they probably would have avoided Birmingham because from what I from talking to AAC officials that day, if Memphis had won the game, they probably they would have gotten to choose where they wanted to go. And I think Memphis's preference was to go to the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth, uh, which is also on the 22nd. Houston ended up going there. Um, But. Regardless, it was you know it was it was a game where you know Memphis jumped out to another uh, twenty was it twenty one point lead thirty eight seventeen at halftime 17, seventeen point lead huh? seventeen point lead thirty eight twenty one at halftime just it, it played out almost exactly like the the game during the regular season Memphis gets a start that it couldn't have drawn up better um, the offense is clicking they're churning out yards. Uh, with their run game, I think they gained more yards, rushing yards in the first half than any FBS team had gained in the first half this year, 336. Yep. Daryl Henderson had 75 yards rushing in the first four minutes of the game, I believe, right? He had 207 at halftime, yeah. and he ended with 210, and that leads to the second half where, once again, Memphis's offense stalled out. Um, there were some shady calls by the refs. Um, and, uh, UCF, you know, made the plays when it mattered against Memphis's defense, ended up getting close to 700 yards with their backup quarterback, Daryl Mack. Um, and the Memphis defense kind of caved a little bit. Um, but still, you know, it, it kind of, I guess, put a damper on what had been a, a pretty resilient end to the season for Memphis, um, and the fact that they came so close again, I know the final score was a little more lopsided, but I mean, really, they get a couple breaks from the officials. They make a play here, a play there. They should have won that game again. And um, you know, there, there's a lot of different things you can question. Um, but Evan, um, what did you take away from that game? How? What did you feel leaving the stadium? You know about this team, this season, that game, what it all meant. Well, the game, I think, again, we can all agree they should have won, but 
I'm going to go back to something that was a trend earlier this year. Second half of the losses Memphis has had, four of those losses, they've struggled. Navy, that fourth quarter collapse. UCF the first time, collapse. Tulane, the fourth quarter wasn't kind to them. Um, this game was kind of the same way. So it feels like as good as this Memphis team has been, they've played. They've had games where they played well in the second half, but in games where they've lost, second half struggles have been a key. They only scored three points in the second half against UCF. They scored none against them that first game. So I think as a second half team, they've struggled in those areas this year, and they've kind of been able to overcome that, but some of those old worries came back to haunt them. The defense, which had been playing so much better these last few weeks, came back to burn them. Um, the offense, which was a great strategy going to that Wildcat at first to kind of throw UCF off balance. It ended up being a downfall because it made them one-dimensional because when it came time to pass, it really showed that this offense had no trust in Brady White to throw the ball down the field or even throw the ball to try to get the keep the chains moving. So I don't know. I mean, we saw this four-game stretch where they really played well. They got themselves together. We even argued that maybe part of it was the competition. It could be that too, but – I think that game just kind of reminded us really what's been the good and bad of this team. The good, they run the ball well, the offensive line does its job, they're in these these in, in these games, but the bad, defensive struggles, Brady White's limitations, and ultimately, I'm going to argue mentally, they just couldn't get over beating a team like UCF. So that's probably my biggest uh, takeaway from that. Well, what's interesting to me is looking at the bigger picture of this is for the second UCF game in a row, Josh Heupel and his staff outmaneuvered Mike Norvell and his staff. But it's an interesting way to look at it. The, the, the way I look at it, though, I don't think you can't, you can't just discredit the fact that Mike had a great game plan going into the game. Like Memphis, in both games, they came out and really took it to UCF. So, And I don't want to discount that because, you know, for half the game, Mike Norvell had UCF completely on, it, on its heels. Um and it it seems like though this staff has trouble anticipating the adjustments another team's going to make. Maybe I mean because it seemed like in both UCF games, UCF figured. You know, Daryl Henderson said it after the game. They kind of figured out what we were gonna, what we were doing. And um, maybe it's because Brady White is limited and they don't trust him that they were kind of limited in how they could adjust. I think Daryl got nicked up a little bit in the second half as well. Um, and then defensively, I don't know whether it's scheme or whether it's talent, but they, you know, they get, they made, you know, Daryl Mack ended up with 300 some odd yards passing and four total touchdowns. And I've said this a couple times this week, it was the least impressive 300 something yard, four total touchdown performance I've seen. It wasn't like he was make, he was just throwing bombs and the, the UCF was getting behind Memphis's defensive backs where Memphis's defensive backs were taking poor angles and they weren't getting any pressure on him at all. Um, and you could argue that scheme because, you know, if your DBs are getting beat anyways, might as well dial up some more blitzes to get more pressure on him, um, on Mac. But at the same time, like I saw some egregious mistakes, just, you know, basic fundamental technique mistakes by Memphis's DBs um, and defense in general. And then another fourth and one where they get gouged and, you know, afterwards, Curtis Aiken said it was, you know, the right call was made. It was just execution. You know, they didn't, they, you know, they didn't execute the play call. And so um, it's frustrating. And I'm sure for fans, it was really frustrating watch this, watching this all happen. Um, 
And I know there was a lot of people in my timeline on Twitter, you know, calling for Chris Ball's head, the defensive coordinator. Um, it's funny. I went and looked up the stats just now before the podcast and, you know, this was his best defense. Like people don't realize, like people are all like really up in arms about the defense. And it's like, they finished fifth in the AAC in total defense and they were third going into the game. Like you take, they gave up 700 yards. So they moved down to fifth. Well, they finished eighth a year ago and 11th the year before that. They finished fourth in third down defense in the conference. They finished 10th the year, last year and sixth the year before that. They gave up, contrary to what it may seem like, they gave up uh, nine fewer plays of 20-plus yards than they did a year ago. Like The defense actually improved from a year ago. They didn't create as many turnovers, so that's why you probably look at it and say that you know this defense is terrible. Um, and and I, this is not to defend Chris Ball and that he's doing a great job. It's just to say it could be worse. Like, it really could. Yeah, to your point uh, that you were making a second ago, whether it's scheme or whether it's talent slash execution, I would say that if this was, like, one of the only examples this year of, you know, Memphis, uh, the Memphis defense getting hurt um, the way they got hurt, uh, then I would – then I would probably say, you know, maybe it is, maybe it is a uh, scheme in this particular case, but we've seen it too many times this year to, and in the past few years, yeah. it's not, it's, this isn't just this. I think fans frustration is this. It, it, Mike Norvell has had these fantastic offenses and every year he's had these lackluster defenses. And the question is, you know, in this league, really the only team that has a great defense in the AAC this year is Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard with the, all these offenses. It's hard to field a great defense. Yeah, and you know, but at the same time, I think what fan if they had an average defense, and I'd argue they statistically they had an average defense this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's a tough, it's a con, it's tough, it's a tough conundrum for Mike to deal with because from the from his perspective, the defense is getting better under Chris Ball. Um, and offensively, you know, Brady White put up pretty good stats this year, threw for more than 3,000 yards. But when you, you know, when you look at the big games this, this team played this year, both those factors didn't come through enough, nearly enough. And so it's a, it's a, it's a dilemma he's going to have to deal with this off season. Yeah. Um, I don't personally, I don't expect him to let go Chris Ball and I don't you know and then the question becomes is Brady White the quarterback next year um I don't know um you know it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this offseason I think well what people need to realize too is if there was a better option perhaps Mike would have gone to it by now because look you got Brady McBride true freshman Connor Adair redshirt freshman who's been here and knows this offense neither one of those guys was going to see the field now we'll see maybe next year in the spring how um, this transfer, Markevion Quinn, looks after he's you know had well, ACL I, injury. But. I think McBride they wanted to redshirt him, and so that's why he's. I think he would like next year. He'll be a much more realistic option. Did he play in four fewer? He or, played in. He four, played in three. Four games. He played, he played in three. He's played in three. Okay, so he can still. So he will redshirt. He will. Yes. Yeah. So, but he could play in the bowl. game. He could play in the bowl game. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> so there is that, but I mean, honestly, like we'll see what happens. Someone asked me, like, you know, is Brady going to be the starter going into the spring? He'll be the starter. I'm sure the competition will be great, but I don't see there's a chance where Brady's going to just all of a sudden 
lose his job. I mean, it, there will be competition, but I think Mike loves his brain and his knowledge of the offense. Um, you know, and he gives him more credit for that than fans do. Like, you know, to him, I think I think to Mike that supersedes the fact that you know he's not great throwing the ball downfield. But at the same time, that game plan against UCF the other day struck me as a coach who did not believe Brady could go win him the game at any point. And I don't know, you know, to me, like, I don't know if that's like, do you really want, like, you know, you really want a game manager as your starting quarterback? I I don't think Mike Norvell does. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he may fit in some people's systems, but I don't think Mike Norvell wants any part of a game manager if he can help it. No, and I'm going to throw this. I'm going to throw some stats out with Brady because somebody people got mad at me on Twitter when I mentioned he's a 3,000 yard passer. So take that 3,000. He's got 3,125 yards. Divide that by 13. He's averaging 240 yards a game, which isn't that impressive if we keep it honest. That's fine. It's I mean like, it's it's solid, but it's not like 300 yards a game. You know, it's you could walk into if you're an average quarterback, you should throw for 3,000 yards a season if you're a decent quarterback. I'd say, but he had 178 yards against UCF. He had 209 the first time against UCF. He had 208 against Missouri, which we all saw was not a great game by him. So the, you say that a decent quarterback should throw for 3,000 yards in, there, the, in this era, where you know there are 23 quarterbacks in the entire country who have thrown for 3,000 yards this year. So I would argue that it's it's harder than you think to throw for 3,000 yards, which gives Brady a little more credit than I think fans, as we talked about, fans should give him more credit for that. I'm just saying that. I understand people being frustrated, but I also know that, again, you got a 3,000-yard quarterback, most of the times people would be happy for that, especially in Memphis where, besides these last few years, they don't have that many quarterbacks who've thrown for 3,000 yards. Like I said, it comes down to the numbers are fine, just like with the defense. Brady's numbers are fine. They're good. It comes down to, and I think fans see it, on a game-by-game basis, when this team needed Brady White to be a great quarterback, he was not a great quarterback in the big games. Just like when this team needed the defense to be great in big games, it wasn't a great defense. And so the numbers, it's that that's what I'm saying. Like Mike's going to have to, has sort of a tough role, you know, and this is why they pay him the big bucks, figuring out how to sort through all that. Um, mm-hmm. And the other interesting thing is, you know, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday. It's come out that Will Hall, who he just hired this past year, the tight ends coach is going to go to Tulane to be the offensive coordinator. Um, and I'm curious how many more guys on his staff he's going to lose. Um, he lost about half his staff a year ago. Um, and I don't know if he'll lose that many this year, but I've heard, you know, there's some internet reports out there connecting Kenny Dillingham as a potential candidate to be the OC at Miami. Um, I don't know. I, I can't see Kenny leaving Mike. They're so attached at the hip. Um, but you never know, um, same, you know, and then, you know, all these other position coaches and, and it's funny, like people talk to me about, you know, attendance is going to be the reason Mike ultimately take out the fact that Mike is going to eventually leave Memphis because if he does keeps doing well here, because that's just inevitable. He wants to get a power five job. Every coach strives for that. But I hear some people like, Oh, people not showing up at the Liberty bowls. Why Mike's going to leave. And, like I'm just like, nah, that's not why. And like, you know, it 
but a reason I could see him wanting to try and get out earlier than people think is this constant staff churn that you have to go through in the group of five when you're successful. Like that has to be really annoying that every year you're having to like make substantial changes to your staff because when you're good, the power fives are going to come in and try and poach your coaches. Um, and they're going to be successful at it because they're power, just like, you know, because they're power five. That to me, more than like people not showing up to the games or like the fact that basketball is, you know, this is a basketball school. Like that stuff is like to me, you know, yes, I'm sure at times it, it irks him a little bit, but like it's not, not the reason he'll leave. But I could see this being a reason why he would take a job that maybe, you know, not not necessarily the perfect next job because he's just sick and tired of losing his coaches. So I'm interested to see how that plays out over the next few weeks. You know, is it just Will Hall this year? Or are we looking at like last year where he lost five position coaches and or four position coaches and his OC? Um, if he has to go through that again, like I, that's got to be really annoying. Yeah, it's not. And it's not just I mean, it, it's it's a. It hits you on a, a several different fronts when you lose assistant coaches. I mean, it's one thing to lose somebody who's in the meeting rooms and in the in the the whole process of coaching a football team, but you're also losing recruiters and you're losing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, just presences, continuity. Yeah, continuity. Exactly. You're having to teach new guys. You're like that's. I think that's what, partly what happened this season. Like Mike, not only was like you know breaking in a new quarterback in a lot of ways mm-hmm. him and Chris Ball were breaking in new you know half their their staffs on each side of the ball were new this year yeah and if you yeah. and i mean if a player has to learn two or three different you know has to play for two or three different position coaches in a career uh that is that takes a toll it does it just it that's that's the bottom it takes a toll and the other thing is i think memphis you know they gave Mike a big raise last year. They gave his staff. He gave they gave him more money to give to his staff last year. I don't know how much more the university can spend on football. Um, you know, Evan will have a story later this week. We we we've obtained some of the sal the, all the salaries of the staff right now, and I mean they're well paid for a group of five. I mean Mike is the highest paid group of five coach in the country. Um, I can run down some of them. I mean, his highest paid assistant is Chris Ball, who's making $390,000 right now. Um, Joe Lorig, the special teams coordinator, is making three sixty. dollars um, Ryan Silverfield, the O-line coach, assistant head coach, is making two ninety five. dollars Will Hall was making two seventy five. dollars Kenny Dillingham, the OC, was making two eighty. dollars um, So that's, you know, that's like, you know, I mean, it's not like, it's not Power 5 money. But I bet you it's it's I bet you there might be the, the the best compensated or certainly one of the top three or four compensated staffs in the group of five. I bet it's better than some power fives. I mean, I mean, Mike, when they when UNC fired Larry Fedora, I was shocked to see Larry Fedora, even after getting an extension from UNC, was making two point five million a year. Mike's making two point six. Yeah. yeah. So he's making more than Larry Fedora exactly. was at UNC. Um, they have invested yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, think they've, they've I, made the commitment to football at Memphis. Yeah, yeah, financially certainly. Right. Um, and so it's an interesting dilemma, another one for Mike to deal with this off season. And um, but we're not at the off season yet. They're gonna get so we we haven't even mentioned they're gonna get Wake Forest in the Birmingham Bowl. <laughs> 
Six and six Wake Forest. Six, six Wake Forest who beat, but also beat NC State and Duke at the end of the year. Dave Clawson's a well-regarded coach in football. Um, and so, uh, Evan, you wrote in your show, they haven't played since the 60s, is that right? Right, they played four times in the 60s. Uh, they split the series 2-2, Memphis won in 67 the last time they met. So, it's been a while since these two have met. Yeah, December 22nd in Birmingham. Um at Legion Field, where where fans have told me horror stories. One fan told me they saw a rat in the concourse at the when Memphis went in 2015. Unsurprising. Um, it's, it's it sounds like they've made a, some um, some improvements now that UAB is playing football again, and that AAF team is going to play there. Yeah, it sounds like they've Birmingham. made you know they've made a couple. They've they've now, I wouldn't call it a facelift, but they've made no. some improvements. Yeah, they. I mean, they had to do something to to get the program back on its feet. But yeah, that place is, um, that place is uh, not nice. <laughs> well, it's interesting because from talking to the staff before the game, so basically going into that AAC championship game, there were three um, possibilities on the table because because Memphis did not want to play against Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech. Like, the administration did not want to do that. So the military bowl was out of the question because the military bowl was going to take Virginia Tech. They were bowl eligible. So the three possibilities were Birmingham, the Armed Forces Bowl, which was Memphis's top choice, where they would have played a pack, uh, Big 12 team in Fort Worth at TCU Stadium. And then, although TCU is the Big 12 team at that, I believe. Um, and so... It would have it would have been an interest you know it would have been like what Memphis had last year at the Liberty Bowl, um, yeah. and then uh, the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. And from what I understand, Memphis's least favorite choice was Shreveport because that's December twenty seventh, and it would have meant the staff and the players would spend Christmas in Shreveport. So they that's why they did not want that game, um, or they preferred not to go to that game. Um, and so that's how they ended up in Birmingham, um, where, you know, I don't think anyone really liked it three years ago, but at the same time, it's in their recruiting territory. It's three, it's drivable for the fan base. It's drivable for the players. From what I understand, you know, a lot of the, they let the, a lot of the players just drive down there cause they get like, you know, they get a break and then they, yeah, like a, apparently that's how it works. Someone was telling me like. You know, but it's close. It's whatever, three and a half hours away. And so, you know, it's not the worst. Like that to me, it's like that's how I look at it. It's not just like the defense. It's not the worst. Yeah, it just I don't know. It, for me it just doesn't move the needle much. I, I you know, and I and I get it. I understand. Were I mean, any of these games gonna what was playing would playing Duke and Shreveport move the needle for you? The armed forces bowl would have Yes. Whoever they would have gotten there, uh That's been, why it was their top choice. Yeah. I mean, you know, but I guess you're right. I mean the odds were that they were not going to get uh, a major win. But, you know, now that I look at, uh, you know, Wake Forest, yes, they're six and six. They were fifth, I believe, in the ACC or something yep. like that. Um, three of their six losses came to ranked teams, uh, one of them being number two, Clemson, and one to number three, I guess, at the time, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Um, and, and, well, and we, we should mention Mike Norvell has not won a bowl game as a head coach. He's owned three so far. Oh, and two, excuse me. Oh, and two. Yeah. Um, and, and it looks like here, uh, they lost to Boston college by one score. Um, they lost to, yeah. So, so one of their losses was by they're a pretty good team. 
Yeah, D- yeah, they're yeah. six and six, but they're pretty good. Yeah. But I will say this: uh, at least in one area that I can look at uh, right here, um, you know, Memphis is arguably Memphis's weakness is pass defense, biggest weakness. Uh, Wake Forest is only sixty seventh in the country in passing offense, so they've got that kind of going for them. Here's, I'll, um, I'll throw one more stat that I was looking at for my story here. Wake Forest in total defense is ranked 116th. So, granted, like you said, they got blasted by Clem, uh, Clemson and Notre Dame, but that's a little encouraging. You're facing another team that's ranked in the bottom 20 in total defense. That'll be interesting. So I want to close on this. Daryl Henderson. Um, he's up for the Doak Walker here in a couple days. Just missed out, it sounds like, on from, you know, he was not a finalist for the high, didn't get invited to, to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, but finalist for the Doak Walker, approaching 2,000 yards for the year. Could, could, you know, if he plays in this bowl game, would pass, likely break D'Angelo Williams' school record for rushing yards in a season. But the part there, if he plays in the bowl game, Evan, I'm curious, you've been around him a lot. Do you think Daryl Henry, you know, we see this trend now of a lot of guys not playing in bowl games and they're, you know, I think most people think he's probably, you know, no one's really talked to him about it yet, but I think there's a, there's a sense around the city, around the program that, you know, this might, this might be it for him. He's going to go pro given the fact that it's going to be hard to match the year he's had this year, next year. Um, Do you think he will play in this bowl game? Yes, and here's why. Um, just from talking to people around him, uh, Daryl is someone who's been very focused on the task at hand. He doesn't look too far ahead down the road. He wants to be very much involved with helping his team win. Um, so I believe that is a factor. But also another thing with this trend, a lot of the guys who are sitting out are high draft picks, like first round, maybe some second round guys. So the thing is that I haven't seen Daryl too much on the draft boards. Like I saw one on USA Today draft wire where he's a top 10 running back. I'm heading into this draft, but Daryl's not being talked about right now as a first round pick guaranteed. So I don't think at that, at this point it's looking like, well, he's got a reason to say like, if he sits, it's more to protect himself, but most of these guys are sitting are first round guys. So I don't think so. So I'll be very surprised, but if I have to say right now, expect to see him in Birmingham. It'll be interesting. He didn't play in the Liberty bowl last year. He got hurt during the practices. Didn't play in Liberty bowl last year. Um, got nicked up in that UCF game. I'm curious how that plays into it. And then there's also the fact that he watched last year. I mean, Anthony Miller played in the Liberty Bowl and broke his foot, essentially. And I don't know if it affected his draft stock or not. He couldn't really go. He didn't go to the combine because of it. He ultimately became a second-round pick, and you see him. He's you know doing just fine with the Bears. But, you know, who knows? Could he have been a first-round pick if he went and wowed people at the combine? But he couldn't because he broke his foot in the Liberty Bowl. I don't know. Um I think it's a it's a real interesting thing to watch for this bowl game. Will he play in this game? Um, what what can he gain? You can, I mean, you can break the. I mean, I think I think the biggest carrot to me is getting over two thousand yards. That's notable, and breaking you know essentially putting putting the capper on the greatest season statistically by a running back in school history. I don't think those are nothing. I think yeah. those are definitely reasons to play in this game mm-hmm. um but you know it'll be interesting because it's and a lot of it honestly i'm curious who's in his ear you know now at this point let's not be naive like 
they're their agents and runners in his ear like what people are is he listening to at this point yeah because i'm sure if he has an agent lined up or if there's agents in his ear my guess is the agents are like eh, you sure you want to play in this game like yeah because my next point to the to the what could he gain by playing in the birmingham bowl is also so so my next question is what could he lose and and that's what you have I mean, to yeah, weigh. You tear yeah. an ACL, you might yeah. go from fourth, third or fourth round pick to not drafted at all. Like that record would be awesome, but like you could also potentially you know lose your future, uh, a potential future in the NFL. Oh, I think it's a tough decision. Yeah. I don't think it's a no brainer at yeah. all. And I think I, I don't know if I was in his position, especially since again, it's not like it's if it was the P, if they were in the Fiesta Bowl yeah. and playing LSU. Yeah, I think you're you know then you play in it. But it's like the Birmingham Bowl against Wake Forest. You know, I wouldn't blame him for not playing. No, yeah, exactly. No. That's my point. Is is if he doesn't play, I I, I could I would get it. Yeah. I, absolutely, because honestly, let's be fair. A lot of these guys are protecting their investment. They they trade on their bodies, and their body is the one thing they have as their advantage. So I wouldn't be surprised either way. I was just saying more like if I had to say right now, sure. But I, I agree with you, Evan. That knowing being around Daryl, I would. I just I don't see him being that I don't think I don't see him thinking that way if that makes any sense like I don't think he's I think he's genuine when he says like he's just he's like a team guy he's very into like for instance like he's having all this success but I think he's very into like Patrick Taylor the fact that he gained over a thousand like I don't sense he's like all in it he's He's humble I don't he's not like Ed Oliver who's like you know (laughs) you know it's he's not like an corporation he's like a very much a student, like a student athlete, like a college football player, rather than like a NFL player biding his time in college. He's a college football player who will eventually play in the NFL. So, yeah. if I had to guess, I would agree with Evan that I think he'll play, but I also don't think it's a no brainer. Right. I don't, and I, mm-hmm. and I think there's good reasons not to play. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that'll do it for us. Um, we will be back. Probably more preview, a better preview of the bowl game coming up. Um, but there's, we've got what here, two weeks till eighteen days until uh, until Birmingham. So uh, we'll make sure you make sure you check out commercialpeel.com. Evan will have tons of coverage. We've got the early signing period coming up for football. Um, you know, there's still you know the Kansas State job is open. I don't think my you know Mike's been mentioned for it, but I would. Anyone who's been to Manhattan, Kansas, I don't know if I'd want that job. Manhattan, Kansas is not not the best place in the world. Bill um, Snyder loved it. Yeah, he's the only one who's had success there <laughs> ever. I mean, like he loves Manhattan. If if Mike takes that job, it means he hates Memphis. Like he's like sick of the administration and whatever. That would be the only reason to take <laughs> yeah. that job. Um, and I don't sense that at right, all. Right. Uh, you know. So, but we'll see. You never know. And then you know, like like we talked about earlier, monitoring. The comings and goings of this staff. I'm curious to see who's, you know, how much, how, if Mike can keep this group together for another year for the most part outside of Will Hall, obviously. So, I mean, whoever takes that K State job now has the added wrinkle of, you know, that rivalry with Kansas is now you're going head to head with Les Miles, uh, uh, you know, to, to match wits with Les Miles, I guess, on a regular basis. With a lot riding, I think on. you're more concerned about having to like be in the same conference as Oklahoma and Texas. <laughs> oh and, yeah, yeah. yeah no. um, so good point. We'll see. Well, we'll be back next time. I was Mark. 
joined by Evan and uh, Jason. Um, yeah. Birmingham. All right. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.